I want to continue this morning. It is good to be back. Uh, my wife and I, uh, six years ago, were supposed to go to just a little marriage uh, weekend getaway. We were able to do that, sorry, about six year, years ago we did it. And then uh, in 2020, we were going to go away again, and we were supposed to go to Nashville in March of 2020, and everybody knows what happened in March of 2020, and uh, so it got canceled, and um, so we got opportunity to go. Uh, weekend to Remember was in Louisville last weekend, so we went, and uh, it was good to get away and just be able to spend some time together. I would encourage you... Um, if you're married, you should really consult your calendar and try to make it a point to go. Um, it's an investment in your marriage. You would have to probably budget for it. It's not the cheapest of weekends because you have to have a hotel and, and these other things. They do have some offers to help keep your registration fee down. See me if you're interested. I can help you with that. But, um, you know, I guess I'd just say this because I want to say sometimes I think there's a stigma around like a weekend getaway with your spouse. Oh, well, they must really be having problems if they're going to the marriage weekend. No, no, by God's grace, we weren't there because we were having problems. We were there because we want to continue to not have problems. And uh, it was just good to be together and to be able to focus on my wife and spend time together. And the kids were taken care of. So at 1130 at night, and we tried to go find food downtown Louisville. We didn't care. It was just what we got to do and be together, but to be challenged as well about our roles in our marriage and, and how those uh, things play together and, and the different aspects of our relationship one to another. And, uh, and I would submit to you this morning, uh, as we prepare to talk about relationships, that if you're married, that's the most, most important relationship on this planet that you have. Uh, of course, next to your relationship with Christ. But earthly speaking, the most important relationship you have is with your spouse. And um, if you have a strong, healthy, godly marriage, praise God. Um, but I want you to know that that probably didn't happen by accident. It won't stay that way by accident. You need to be intentional. And, um, and I would encourage you, I don't know how often it's back in this area. I know it's in St. Louis, Louisville. We were supposed to go to Nashville. A number of years ago, we went, we went to Chattanooga. It's about four hours away. Um, just a beautiful place. I would encourage you, I cannot encourage you enough, uh, to, to maybe check out the calendar and try to plan for that. I promise you it'll be a blessing to your family. But we really enjoyed getting to get away and focus on our relationship. And uh, we value that because we value our relationship. And I think part of the reason, and, and that may seem like, well, duh, if you're married, you should value your relationship. I'm not convinced everybody does. I'll just go ahead and say that. Um, we do. We try to make our marriage a priority. And um, part of that stems from the fact that we value relationships. Uh, that's one commonality that my wife and I have. Uh, you guys all know my story. Uh, I am here before you today because of a retired dairy farmer who cultivated a relationship with me. And uh, night after night, week after week, we poured through God's word uh, through what the Bible would call discipleship. And, uh, and relationship was very important. So as you imagine, relationships are now very important to me. Um, and they're important to my wife. And one of the things that I'm so encouraged about is in recent uh, months through our working with IBL and our extended ministry team is we've learned that relationships are also important to Dale Bible Church. It's not just me. It's not just my wife. And as we continue to look at the values, as we've talked about at Dale Bible Church this morning, see on the screen before you, we will look at part one of the value of relationships. We value relationships. Therefore, we strive to mutually care for fellow believers by encouraging, edifying, equipping, and serving one another from a heart of worship to the Lord. 
We value relationships. So we want to care for one another mutually. And the key to this value is that very fact that we want to, that we desire to mutually care for one another. The truth is, in a lot of situations, and this is true in our situation as well, by God's grace, this is a great thing, Dale Bible Church has outgrown the ability to care for all the needs of the body from a corporate standpoint. So it has to become a mutual, it has to be a relational care. There's a smaller mutual care that comes from the body as a whole for the body. And as a whole, this is a very special thing. And furthermore, and I would submit to you more importantly, this smaller mutual care is actually what we see embodied in the church in the New Testament. This isn't an idea that, you know, we came up with when we worked with IBL. Uh, Mutual care is actually what we see taught to us in Scripture as exemplified by the early church. And the simplest way that I know to unpack this idea of mutual care when it comes to relationships is by using a command that we see taught all throughout the New Testament. So if we're going to care mutually one for another, that care is, is based upon a command, and the command is three words, love one another. Love one another. To have love for someone or something based on sincere appreciation and high regard. That's what the word love here means, to care for, to love or to care for. So you, you care for someone or you have a, a love for someone or something based on the fact that you appreciate, you, you have a sincere appreciation or you hold that something into a high regard. So you care for it. So you love it. This is the command that we see in the New Testament. A care for one another out of love for one another. A care out of a sincere appreciation and high regard for one another. In other words, care for the body because you value the body. Okay? We all understand the concept of we care for that which we care about. I guess that's kind of cheating, right? Like you use the word to define what it is that you're doing. But if we value something, we care for that something, right? Like I, I value my kids, so I care for my kids. I love my kids. I try to shepherd my kids and, and raise my kids up. And this is true for all of us, right? The relationships that are important to you, you care for. And this has to be true, because if you don't care for relationships that are important to you, your relationships won't last. They'll be weak and very surfacey if they do last, which really isn't much of a relationship at all. So we care for these relationships. And so this morning, as we consider the fact that what we've learned is we value relationships within the body, we, we want to now look to how it is that the relationships within the body care for one another. Okay, so we have this command to love one another. How do we love? What does it look like to mutually care for one another within the body? Okay? This mutual care is not the same as organizational care or corporate care. See, either the care for the people that make up the body has to come from the corporate, the entity. In this case, it would be like the church, right? Right? 
It has to come in an institutional manner or the care comes from the individuals that make up the institution. Okay? The church is not an organization. The church is an organism. An organism that has life, that's living, that's breathing, okay? And, and what we see exemplified in Scripture and what we've learned here at Dale Bible Church is that as a living, breathing organism, the body of Christ, that is, us here at Dale Bible Church, we have to care one for another. We have to mutually care for one another. This organism that is the church, it grows, it shrinks, it flourishes, it suffers, it thrives. Because it's an organism that's made up of people. And I would submit to you this morning that in this organism, the best way for it to thrive is mutual care. And that mutual care is based upon the call that we see in the New Testament to love one another. And so I want to look this morning at the concept as we think about relationships. We're going to look at this uh, umbrella of relationships within the church. And we're going to talk about these relationships through the, the, the lens of mutual care one for another. Okay, as you just look around this room, which we've had probably 25 to 30 people leave uh, this morning and go downstairs, so we've got some space in here. But you look around this room, it's pretty full. And the reality is, is it's really hard from a corporate standing, a corporate setting, to ensure that all of the needs of all of these people are being met. And so what we strive to do is we've begun working together and examining things, but then also examining really God's word and what we see in God's word is there's a mutual care one for another. And that's what causes the, the organism that is the church to grow and to thrive. And so I want to look first at the mode of mutual care, the mode of mutual care. Aaron, I don't, I don't have my clicker up here. I don't have any idea where it is. So if you'd be willing to help me out this morning... Uh, Thank you, sir. The mode of mutual care. Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 42, we read this. It says, And they devoted themselves, they as the church, the people who had started uh, the, the church, Acts chapter 2 is born, the day of Pentecost. It says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers, and awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles, and all who believed were together and had all things in common. It is clear here that the early church was devoted. They were committed to being together. They were equally devoted to that which the apostles taught. So that would have been the Old Testament, because they would have had the Old Testament, but then also anything that they had been taught by Christ. So this is what the apostles would be teaching. We see this early church, it would adhere to it. And what really we see here is that in a very simple yet profound way, as God's people gathered together and adhered to the teachings of Christ and his apostles, people were being united together. So as they came together around the apostles of the teaching and the premise of fellowship, that they were actually being united together. They, were being, uh, they had all things in common is what Luke tells us. There was a commonality among them that was not only effective to meet the needs of the body, but it was contagious. People wanted to be a part of what was happening at the church in Jerusalem. By being guided by doctrine and fellowship, the people, they were able to be united. Had all things in common. They were built up and they were encouraged. And one of the things that Luke tells us that they did together was pray. 
Sure, they ate together. I mean, because why not, right? That's, we still do that, right? They ate together, but they prayed together. Dietrich Bonhoeffer once remarked that a Christian fellowship lives and exists by the intercession of its members for one another or it collapses. I'm going to read that again. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said a Christian fellowship lives and exists by the intercession of its members one for another or it collapses. If we're going to care mutually for one another here at DBC, which as we've established is a value of ours, we must be a praying people. We must be a praying people. Bonhoeffer said, your, your church, the church as a whole, not just an individual church, but their church, is going to live and die. The community, the vitality of that community, the vibrancy of that community, the unity of that community will live and die as much as that community prays one for another. So we must be a praying people, praying for the body and praying for individuals. But prayers for the body are not selfish. They are selfless. So we're praying for people. What kind of things do we pray? We pray for wisdom, discernment, guidance, understanding, healing, good health, salvation, spiritual growth. And we could keep going with all of the things that the body ought to pray for one for another. There's a lot of ways in which we can pray for one another in mutual care. We must be a people who pray for people if we're going to care for one another mutually. And I think we have to also identify or point out the reality that this call to prayer, okay, if we're going to care for one another mutually, is that it's an individual responsibility. Is there corporate prayer? Yes, absolutely. There's prayer every time we're together as a body. But if the only time you pray for this body is when you're here, you're failing the body. And I don't mean that to be harsh, but if we believe what Bonhoeffer said, and I understand it's not gospel, but it's true. If you believe that the health and well-being of the spiritual organism that is the church lives and dies by how much and how often and how intentional your prayer life for the body is, whoo, you're going to take it serious. Your prayer is going to be much more than just when we're together corporately and we're praying for Tommy's toe and, 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 and Stevie's spleen. I was just trying to come up with something that was an S. Um, it's, it's, it's specific and it's individual. And why do you do that? Because we've been commanded to love one another. So we're praying for Stevie's salvation. That's a better one than Stevie's spleen. Pray for Stevie's salvation. But we're praying for others, not just corporately, but individually. There has to be a willingness and a desire to go on behalf of other people to the throne of grace. Not just when you're here. When you're at home, when you're driving in your car, when you're walking down the street, when you're on your lunch break at work really doesn't matter when. 
It's a disposition that says in order to mutually care for the body, the foundational principle is we've got to pray for the body. We've got to be praying for the body. And as we pray, there are some specific responsibilities of the individual that we can be mindful of, that we can be praying over. And these aren't obviously all of the ways in which we can pray to mutually care for people. But I'm going to give you a couple, uh, what we call the means of mutual, mutual care. So just a couple things, right? Again, this is not an exhaustive list, but we want to have a couple things. Because there are a few things that we see very clearly spelled out for us in the New, Ter- New Testament that the church... Um, needs to have, it needs to experience, it needs to be a part of what the church is doing. So first means, second, second point there is the means of mutual care. The first means is encouragement. We can pray for encouragement. Notice the words of the writer of Hebrews 10, 24 and 25. He says, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of son, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. You see, the writer of Hebrews, or the writer to the Hebrews, knew and understood the plight of the Hebrew people that he was writing to. The recipients of this letter we call Hebrews were suffering for their identification with Jesus. Maybe you know this, maybe you don't. They were suffering for their identification with Jesus. It was very common in the first century for these people who would devote their lives to Christ, they would lose everything. They would lose their homes, they'd lose their jobs, they'd lose their families. If they were females and they were put out by their husbands, they had no means of income, they had no means of, 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 no means of being able to make ends meet. And so what happens is these people who are Jewish by heritage are looking around saying, man, it's really, really hard to follow Jesus. And so I think I'm just going to go back to being a Jew. I'm going to stay. My heritage is that of Jewishness. I'm a Jewish descent. And so I'm just going to go back to Judaism as a practice, and I'm going to adhere to the law because I think that that would be easier. And the writer of the letter to the Hebrews, up to this point in chapter 10, he's been building this massive argument about how Jesus is better than everything. He's better than Moses. He's better than the law. He's better than anything that they could fathom. The people who've gone before them, Abraham, Jesus is superior to all of these things. And so his message to them is don't abandon Jesus to go back to the things that are inferior to Jesus. He says, so here's what I want you to do instead. Come together and encourage one another. Because when you're following Jesus, and there's just a small group of you here as he's writing to these Hebrew people, and he's saying, it may be hard, and so you need to do it together. You need to care for one another. And he says, encourage one another. All the more you see the day drawing near. Notice that the writer to the Hebrews does not say when, how often, and in what ways the Hebrew people were to come together. He simply says... Do not neglect the opportunity to be encouraged. So the people are meeting together, Hebrews, so keep meeting with them. And the harder things get, the more indicative it is that Jesus is coming soon. It's been 2,000 years, but nonetheless, he said, continue to meet together for mutual encouragement. 
He says, do not neglect the opportunity to be encouraged. So yes, this does mean being plugged in to the body of believers that you belong to is important. It absolutely is important that you be connected and plugged in to the bodies or the body. And yes, I will tell you, some people might say, well, you can't say that. I can say this. That means beyond Sunday morning service. You got 24 hours in a day, seven days in a week, and you get 40 minutes dose of Jesus a week in the world we live in, you ain't going to cut it. You're going to be devoured. You're going to be swallowed up. You're going to look back at the end of the week and think, man, I really need some encouragement. So the writer of Hebrews says, don't neglect coming together. And don't mistake my point. I'm not saying there's a quota. I'm not saying there's a minimum. Oh, you have to do this, and you have to do that, and you have to do this, and you have to do that. No, I'm not saying that at all. What I'm saying is the same thing as the writer to the Hebrews. The more time you are together around the word of God and praying for one another, the more encouragement there is to be found. And once again, we talked about the individual responsibility to pray for one another. There's an individual responsibility of every believer in the body to not neglect the opportunities that are present for gathering. That's why we say, yes, we're talking about beyond Sunday morning worship service. There are opportunities to be encouraged and to be built up. And the writer of Hebrews is saying, don't neglect them. You're selling yourself short. You need that encouragement that comes from being together. And when we fail to meet together, when the opportunity is there, no matter what our reason is, we're doing the very thing that the writer says not to do. When the opportunity to gather and be encouraged exists and you don't take it, you're neglecting being encouraged. And that's the very thing the writer says don't do because it's hard following Jesus. It was hard 2,000 years ago, and it's hard today, and it's going to be hard until he comes back. And so he says, don't neglect being together. Sometimes we say, well, I don't need encouragement. I'm doing fine. I'm doing good. Things are okay. You know, maybe my kids are in line and my marriage is in order. I don't, I don't need encouragement. I'm doing good. Let me ask you a question. Where do you think encouragement comes from when we gather together? It comes from each other, one another. You see, encouragement isn't just about you being encouraged. It could be about how you could be an encouragement to someone else. Praise God if you are in the place where you say, you know what, I, I feel like we're doing well and I don't really feel like I need to be gathering to get that encouragement because we all understand, right? Like we all have been in those seasons of our lives. And every time you turn around, it just feels like you're getting beat down and you just, you just need somebody to carry you in in the morning by the underneath your arms and drag you in just so you can get a little bit of encouragement. And we've all been on the other side of that spectrum as well where you felt like, you felt like, hey, you know, I don't, I don't need that encouragement. And you may not need it, but someone else might need it from you. And so we can't neglect coming together for the purpose of encouragement. Because if people are going to be encouraged, somebody's got to be doing the encouraging. It takes those on both ends of this spectrum. So we encourage one another. Another means, secondly, is equipping. 
In Ephesians chapter 4, Paul says, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. So equipping here is another benefit of mutual care. God gave many different gifts and abilities to people within the body, and they're all for the purpose of building up the body. He didn't give an individual to run the body or the organism, well, other than Christ, but he gave varying gifts to varying people to build up the body. And this goes back to the point we just made in Hebrews 10, right? It's not necessarily about what you need. It could be also about what you have that others need. It's about who who needs your giftedness. What do you have to offer the body of Christ that the body misses out on when you're not together with it? If you could just imagine, I mean, Paul uses the the word picture, the illustration of a physical human body all throughout the New Testament to describe the church. And he says things like, you know, no one part is more significant than another. So the hand can never look at the foot and say, I don't have a need of you. In the same way, the eye can never look at the ear and say, I don't have a need of you. And this is very simple to understand when we think about the varying giftedness that exists within the body right? If, if you got up tomorrow to go to work and you had to tie just one of your hands behind your back and you had to function all day tomorrow, whether that's school, work, whatever it is, missing a hand, would it affect your ability to function as you normally would tomorrow? Would it? Yeah, Absolutely. You see, it's not an accident that the Apostle Paul uses the picture of a human body to describe the body of Christ that is the church. If we don't function according to our giftedness, all of us, to mutually care for one another, we're shortchanging the body. And ultimately, that means that the body suffers. So we mutually care for one another, not just for equipping, but for edification, Paul, writing to the church at Colossae in chapter 3, says, Put on, then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell, rich, dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. We come together also for the purpose of edification or building one another up. I don't know about any of you guys with kids, but we say all the time in our house, I have three kids under 10, 6, 8, and 10. And so they start to get to that age where a lot of what they do and what they say is kind of at the expense of one of their siblings. And we were just having a conversation the other day. I was talking with one of the girls. It was this weekend around a campfire and we were camping. And I don't even remember which one of the girls it was. But whatever she was saying about her sister, her sister wasn't present. And she went on for a minute and I looked at her and I said, is that edifying? And I think, I think it was this weekend, she tried to play kind of like, you know, funny with me. Well, what does that mean? They know. I looked at her and I said, does that build her up? Does that encourage her? Does that strengthen her? No. Right. 
See, this is a picture, right, of the, the, the purpose of the body mutually caring for one another is building it up. And what's the opposite of building it up? Tearing it down. And you've got to understand, all of our words, <clears throat> our actions, all of the things that we say and do, all of our dispositions, our demeanors, they either build up the body or they tear down the body. You've heard me say a million times, neutrality is a myth. You're never just <clears throat> staying steady. You're either growing, you're dying. As a body, as a church, you're either thriving or you're suffering. Right? And so the individuals who make up that body, everything that they say and do has an impact on whether or not that body is being mutually cared for in a way that's building it up or if it's being destructive. So we care for one another mutually by building one another up. And Paul tells the church at Colossae here the types of things that build up the body of Christ. Compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, forgiveness, love, thankfulness. He says... Together, when you have that type of demeanor, when you have a compassionate heart, when you're living out kindness and humility and meekness, there's teaching of one another in wisdom and singing of psalms together out of what? A thankful heart towards God. Thankful for the fact that you get to be a part of the body of Christ united with others in faith and awaiting your future union with Christ himself. And so as we talk about these relationships and mutually caring for one another, there's one more means of mutual care that we'll look at. Again, this isn't all of them, but this is just one more this morning. We see this through serving. We serve one another. Romans chapter 12, for as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. We've talked about this already, right? There are many members of one body, and they do not all have the same function. But according to God's grace, we use whatever gifts we have to serve one another. And just looking at this little passage in Romans, we see that really the opportunities to serve one another are endless. And when we think of the prospect of serving one another by. Again, we're trying to mutually care for one another because these mutual relationships are important. We want to care for one another. We can serve one another. We don't have to look any further than Mark chapter 10, verse 45. The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom for many. Not one of us has the ability to look around and say, I deserve to be served. But Christ did. He had the ability to take on flesh 
and, and, and lower himself in humble of state with humanity and look around and say, I deserve to be served by you because after all, I'm God. That's the very claim they killed him for. He's the only one who's ever been able to, to legitimately, bona fidely say, I deserve to be served. And yet he did not. He didn't say, I deserve to be served. He served. He came not to be served, but to serve. Timothy Keller said this about being a part of the body of Christ. We believe the world was made by a God who is a community of persons who have loved each other for all of eternity. You were made for mutually self-giving, other-directed love. Self-centeredness destroys the fabric of what God has made. If the means of caring for the body is mutual self-giving love that is directed at others instead of self-centeredness, then the body of Christ flourishes and thrives. When we understand that we are a part of a body for a purpose according to God's design and that it's about others, him first, others before ourselves, and we give and we live out of a way that is mutually caring for others, the body thrives. You know why? Because that's how God intended it. And it's amazing to see how when we obey what God has revealed to us in his word, he honors it, right? And so we care for one another. As long as the focus of those who make up the body is not directed at others, the body will suffer. Not only will care be lacking, but turmoil, tension, and conflict will be the result. And not only is this bad for the body, but self-centeredness in the body of Christ, I would submit to you, grieves Christ. The body of Christ is his bride. This is how the New Testament presents the church. He is the bridegroom, and, and, and currently while we are still here, his bride, the church, is being prepared. She's being prepared to be without spot, without blemish, holy and acceptable into the sight of the bridegroom. And so when his body suffers, I submit to you this morning, it grieves him. And we may care for one another mutually in order that Christ, excuse me, may we care for one another mutually in order that Christ would rejoice at the state of his bride at DBC. That he would be rejoicing rather than grieving over the state because we care mutually one for another selflessly instead of demanding selfishly. Lastly, we see the motive for mutual care. The motive for mutual care, we see is listed there in our value statement, is a heart of worship for the Lord. Love is the short answer for the motive. Love. John 13, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. At the risk of being facetious, do I really need to exhaust what Christ told his disciples here? Love one another. Care for one another. Why? 
simply because you have high regard for one another as the body of Christ. Care for one another. Love one another because he has loved us. Because he has loved us. And by loving one another, guess what he says here? He tells his disciples, you saw it. Love one another. A new commandment I give to you that you love one another just as I have loved you. And then he says, by this the world will know that you are my disciples. When you have love or when you care for one another. Love one another because we have been loved and because that's the distinguishing mark of the church. Jesus didn't say, and don't misunderstand me, okay? But Jesus didn't say, make sure you give to the poor. That's how they'll know you're my disciples. Jesus didn't say, spend all your time serving in soup kitchens. That's how the world will know you are my disciples. Jesus did not say, do this, do that in the world, and they'll see you, and they'll know you're my disciples. He said, love one another, and by this, the world will know you are my disciples. The distinguishing feature of the body of Jesus Christ is that she loves one another. This is how you reach the world. This is how people will look around and they'll ask questions and they'll start to see, and we're going to get to this next time in the second part of relationships. But it's a beautiful segue. If you love one another, who you are and what you are will be contagious to the world around you. Not the stuff you have, not the things you give, not the stuff you're capable of. If you love one another, the world will notice. That's what Jesus said. So we value relationships. And if you don't love because Christ has loved us, and you don't value mutual care one for another as exemplified in Scripture, I'm going to tell you something. The world will never think you are any different. And they won't desire your care from a perspective of there's something different about you. Because that something different is your love for the body because you understand that you have been loved by Jesus. Andrew Murray said this, our love to God is measured by our everyday fellowship with others and the love it displays. We repeat that. Our love to God is measured by our everyday fellowship with others and the love it displays. If you really love God, you will love his people. There's no alternative. If you don't love God's people, you might not love God. It's about loving God and loving people. Jesus himself has made this clear. And if you love God and you love his people, then you will seek genuinely to care for his people. We value relationships. Therefore, we strive to mutually care for fellow believers by encouraging, edifying, equipping, and serving one another from a heart of worship to the Lord. You see, if we value Christ, then we have no option but to value relationships with others. 
And we must seek to care for others by encouraging, edifying, equipping, and serving them. This was valued by Christ, and we've established that it is to be valued by DBC. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you this morning that you have, in fact, loved us. Your world tells us that we only know what love is because we were first loved by you. And you tell us that the world will know that we belong to you by our love for one another. Love is the distinguishing characteristic of the believer's life. It's not an option. We don't get to choose to love some and not others. We don't choose to get to love others more than some. Father, what we see in your word is that out of a love for you, we love one another. And so, Father, I pray today that you would help us to see just how significant of a role our lives play to the health and wellness of your bride that is the church. God, convict our hearts today. God, that we might commit ourselves to building up instead of tearing down. That we might not neglect assembling at the opportunities, God, that we have to gather together and to look into your word and to encourage one another, to be encouraged and to be an encouragement. God, may may we be quick to serve one another. Countless opportunities we've had here in recent years, God, where we've seen uh, just people love one another and meet needs. What a privilege that is, God, and I pray that all of, all of these things would come out of a heart that says we love you and we want the world to know that we love you. And so we love others. And um, God, we just pray that you'd work in our hearts. We pray that, uh, as we've talked about this morning, that God is your son Jesus, the bridegroom, looks upon his bride here at DBC. I pray, God, that he would rejoice and not be grieved, that he would see a mutual care, love, and adoration and affection for one another that demonstrates to the world that we are his disciples. Father, help us to continue to value relationships. Help us to continue, God, to value you, that we might look into your word, that we might be obedient to it, and that by loving you and loving others, God, through our obedience, the world would know that we are your disciples. Work in our hearts today for our good and your glory. In Jesus' name we pray.